What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. Back and better than ever. We're fresh. Had a couple of weeks off, a little vacation, some work trips, and the band is back together. Yeah, I feel good. Something feels right about this. Uncle Chad and Deacon Adam, Paul George here. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here. Welcome to the podcast or listening on the radio, KLFT Radio. For those of you who are like, hey, where have you been the last couple of weeks? Well, kind of all over. Had a couple of conferences I was speaking at, retreat, and then did a little vacate with the fam. You guys were busy, so kind of had a couple of Fridays off, I think. I can't remember. I'm trying to track it down. When I saw Adam, <laughs> I was like, "It's what has it been, a year? Feels like it. Yeah, your beard's grown. You got a little bit more salt in your pepper. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, the gray is coming in. I mean, you... Yeah. So. I'm like uh, Gandalf. Well, in the movies, we saw him go from gray to white. I'm I'm earlier Gandalf yeah. when he went from black to gray. Right. I'm in that zone right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does the beer get hot in the summer? Honestly, no. No. I tell you what, when I shaved it like a year ago, after having it for two years, it felt like there was so much wind on my face. I was like, how do you people walk around like this? <laughs> that's true. Constantly being hit by wind. Yeah, that's know? true. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I don't grow a beard. So Chad's got a beard. He's used too, to the breeze. Yeah, I'm yeah. used to the breeze, you know. <laughs> so anyway, glad you guys are here. Welcome to the show. We got some cool things to talk about and catch up on. Um, super glad you're a part of the show. So Chad, it's been a while. I know you've got a slew of have you seen, but we're going to go. What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? We can only go with one. Okay. Well, I thought this would be good to talk about because it's, been five years and the olympics started again true mm-hmm. back to the olympics mm-hmm. so yes, that's true yeah 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 i did Do actually you watch olympics? yeah well i love the. i've always loved the olympics all growing up everything it's kind of weird they kind of snuck up on us you know because i think people are still really distracted with covid still um and with, again with yeah. you know it's just been obviously a wonky couple of years right so I was watching a rerun of the opening ceremonies. You know, there's just all this controversy. I say controversy. You know, some athletes can't go because they're in quarantine and the testing and like the vaccine. And I, I'm just not into it. Like it, like oh, I used yeah. to be. I don't know about you guys. Well, yeah, I'll be honest. I haven't. I didn't watch the open ceremonies, mm-hmm. opening ceremonies. So they had them already. Yeah. yeah last oh. night I watched the rerun because because my kids are watching it. And I love opening ceremonies because wherever it's being hosted in whatever country, the opening ceremonies is usually very cultural. Mm-hmm. They'll do a tribute to like the past of their culture. So it's in Japan. And so obviously the history of Japan, you know, and it's ancient times and all that. So it's kind of cool opening ceremonies, things that they do, very cultural. You can you can learn a lot about different cultures. Yeah. So I was kind of watching a rerun of that, but uh you know, I just haven't kept up so much with the athletic part of it, you know, just because... Yeah, I guess I don't want know. to see the commentary so much, but I do want to watch the athletes do their thing, you know? I think as, as it heats up and it gets more to, like, the finals and gold medal rounds, I think we'll be hearing more about it yeah. and people will tune in and watch it. But here's the question I have for you guys, is if you could compete in one Olympic event, summer, not winter, we're not on winter, which would you do it doesn't matter you don't have to look at your gifts and talents you just said man if <laughs> if i can do that because, that would be great this one thing you know because adam if you pick like hey you want to do the 100 meter dash i'm like okay cool that but would definitely not be my gift that would not be your gift but what no. i'm saying if you, you could compete in it you don't have to think about what's doable is there a 100 meter jog there's 100 meter walk <laughs> i could do that could, isn't there like a walk 
marathon. Speed anyway, walking. The speed walking, yeah. So uh, if you could pick one event, what would it be? I think at this point in my life, I would say the shock put. Hmm. Track if you'd asked me like 10 years ago, I had more interest in flying around. I would have said pole vaulting because mm-hmm. you can just get up there and fall. But, you know, I guess I've gotten older and I just kind of want to just stand there and throw something. Just like that's that's okay. what I want to do. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. I, I was going to say pole vault, actually. Well, some, it was between pole vault and fencing, to be honest. <laughs> just the. <laughs> so flying I and mean, fighting. Fight yes. or flight. You just, poke, right. you just want to poke someone. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> really hard. Yeah, with a metal rod. <laughs> it was because my big brother, you know, irritated my little brothers all the yeah, time. And yeah. <laughs> but pole vault. I, I was always wanted to pole vault. I tried in high school. I knew I was only going to be in track for a year. And so I tried, and it didn't work, so I moved on. Apparently, it did not work. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So I moved on, and we did. I did some other things, but yeah, I'd love to learn. Well, Paul, what would you do? Like I think public I would. Public speaking? Yeah. I would. <laughs> I would be the do, announcer. I would do the opening ceremony speaker. <laughs> nice. um, I would, can't choose between two. So I want a, a team sport. Like I would love to be on an Olympic team, oh, like a so baseball team, right? Like and mm-hmm. just represent your team USA, you know? Mm-hmm. So baseball on that, that would have been really cool. There is baseball this year, I think. Baseball and softball. and Yeah. Uh, so, and then on like the individual event, you know, I think like – some of the most watch events are probably what gymnastics or swimming, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like that. So, like, you know, I would have loved to be like the, you know, I don't know, one of the fastest swimmers. I don't know, just swim and just be like a one. Well, your height must be an advantage in swimming. I have because no I mean you're you're that much closer to the wall. You than jump off the diving board, else. you're halfway halfway down the lane already. Right. <laughs> halfway there. Yeah. yeah. You know, as, as we're talking about this, I'm kind of kind of sad because i'm realizing since the last olympics everything that's happened in our country has like dulled my american enthusiasm yeah. if you will yeah like i i literally i'd heard the olympics were happening i didn't realize the closing ceremony or opening ceremonies were last night i'm like man i used to actually love this country enough to care about <laughs> a world competition where americans are going off against going up against other countries and everything that's happened since the last Olympics, the pandemic, the, the racial tensions and riots and the election, the elections. I mean, I guess it all had its toll because I, I just didn't care about it. Well, I think if that's the pulse yeah. of us in this room, I think it's a lot out there too, is like everyone's just super distracted, you know, and the, there is still this world tension or with the world leaders and the world pandemic. And it's like, Oh, there's an Olympics right now. Like, Oh, okay. Like, let me try to get into this, you know, and then you have athletes who aren't standing for the flag or kneeling and, you know, I, I don't know, Olympics? like I, it's, it's hard yeah. to, it's, it, you know, it's just hard to like figure out like what's going on. Like, can we just have fun, you know, but it's like the Olympics are just a continuation of the debates that are out there. The debate on the pandemic, the debate on the vaccine, the yeah. debate on the elections, the debate on world leaders, the debate on the flag, the debate and it feels like there's no solution. Mm. So, and when there's no solution or resolution, it's just like, I don't know. I oftentimes I just want to tune out because I just feel like I just at time, I want to just enjoy a sport, you know, I just yeah, want right. to watch with no controversy. Mm. And that's what I'm hearing from a lot of folks as well, which is, you know, why most importantly, like around this show and like what, what we're about is if you, if you can't focus on Christ and allow him to calm everything around you, I can't imagine what people's minds are like. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, it's I guess it's hard to rally beh- behind your country when you feel like you don't like your neighbors, <laughs> or you don't, or you don't really care, or maybe you feel like all your neighbors hate you, and maybe everybody feels that way to an extent. Like I, all my neighbors hate me, you know. Maybe that's good. You have ducks that yes. get loose. <laughs> yeah, I would hate you too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We forget the water for their pool running. You know, we we flood our neighbors' yawn. Now, if you we're not good neighbors, you, let's if say you that. killed the ducks and like invited your neighbors over for like Peking duck. You're you know? right. They would like me. We'll see what when we make mistakes in my neighborhood. We bring people cookies. Well, yes. my wife picks cookies and we bring them over. They'll eventually like. And they're wow. like, oh, I'm amazed. Thanks. Those are like the young couple. Sorry for. I'm living. amazed you already know that and you've only lived in a neighborhood. <laughs> you're like the young time. hipster. It's co- it's Abigail to be honest. Yeah. Oh. You're She's the young, wonderful. young hipster Catholic couple. They're like, who are these people in our neighborhood? They have ducks and stuff. Yeah, we left the water running twice, like to fill up their pool because we do it in the morning to give them water. We left it running twice, and our neighbor came over. Hey, man, you got it. This I'm trying to mow my lawn. I'm like, oh, so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Next would, day, Abigail brings some cookies. I, I would hate you. <laughs> it's too. great. Bring them some duck eggs, man. Yeah. Like, I got to cookies well, made with duck eggs. Yeah. But I think you're bringing up something important, Paul. That uh, I guess America is bound to fail without Christ, and sometimes we forget it. It's like every American initiative, even the Olympics. Like we're Americans, we're going to participate. If Christ isn't at the center of our culture, it's going to fail. Like it's all going to fail. You Not know? only that, Christ is hated right now in our culture yeah. more than any time, and it's never been a time where Christ is more needed. You know, you and I were talking before the show, before Chad got here, just about our own stress or anxieties or things, and just in life, right? And and then we just kind of asked the question to each other: is like, well, how's your prayer life? You know, and what you were saying is like my prayer life is even better now because of like the current things that I'm dealing with. Right. So as a disciple of Jesus, someone who's trying to love Jesus, the adversity is pushing you more into prayer, right. And, and union with Christ than it is a way. Right. But the opposite is true in effect for folks who are sort of on the fringes or sort of like minimalist, minimally faithful or churchgoers or maybe non anything right is that adversity pushes people further away from god and and they don't know it and then before you know we look up as a culture and like the majority of people are just distant from the reality of god and that's where that's the state of what we're living in you know Um, i remember 20 years ago when you know good popes and bishops would would prophesy and say that, you know, America is becoming and on its way to becoming a post-Christian nation. I'd be like, no, that's not true. That's the worst thing I've heard. And and then we're living in the reality right now. I'm like, yeah, it's never been more true, you know? Yeah. And the only Christians that are really tolerated are the bad ones, you know? Um, the good ones are not tolerated anymore. <laughs> so eventually the bad ones won't even be tolerated. And by that, I mean those who promote abortion and other like very vocally in opposition to church teaching i'm not talking about those who um you know just struggle with their own personal sins i'm talking about those of us of our number who are national leaders promoting anti-catholic anti-life anti you know those are the ones that society is cool with and will vote for but that will come to an end at some point too i mean at some point the catholic faith will be will be hated and uh you know, this this is actually most of Christian history. So I'm kind of excited about that in that I think we'll find like-minded Catholics to be much more courageous because you have to be. 
you have to be courageous to to be all in today for the church and for Jesus. Like you can't be a wimp Catholic anymore, and I think that's wonderful. And I can't wait to shake off all of my cowardice and start doing some bold things for Jesus. Because it's so easy to be a comfortable Catholic when everything's going well. And that was most of my Catholic life. I don't know about y'all, but like growing up in youth ministry and like, you know, you you can take this seriously, but you don't have to. And everything's going to be okay if you don't. You know what I'm saying? Like you can be all into Jesus, but if you don't want to, that's all right. You can still come get confirmed. You could still go to your Catholic school. You, can, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you don't have to sacrifice anything to be all in for Jesus. But that's not the future. You know, our kids are going to have to sacrifice to be all in for Jesus. Yeah, I think culturally, though, so much of people's perception of the current Christian church, and when I say that, it's not only just Catholics, but like the Protestant church, the Christian church as a whole in our in America, the perception of people who are non-Christian is that there's an alignment with Christianity with certain, you know, politics and agendas. And then those people align that with, oh, Christians hate people. They mm-hmm. actually hate me for living this way or doing this, right? And so there becomes a greater division. And that's not necessarily the true narrative. Like that narrative isn't necessarily true. Some of it might be true. But Christ, you know, calls us, like if more Christians, it, Catholics would be convicted to pray with people and for people and to love people and to introduce them to the love of Jesus and the power of God. It would change that narrative. Then it would be to say, let me tell you about right or wrong, right? Let me tell you about, you know, where you're going with this lifestyle and more this opportunity to introduce people to the power and love of Jesus Christ. Like, and that's what we, we have stopped doing. We rather fight all these battles than, than really love the people in front of us and bring Christ to them, right? In a real tangible way, you know? What would happen if, if, if that began to take place? And in our next segment, we're going to talk about, like, even from the gospel early on, sort of Jesus teaching, even with his own apostles, how, how that tension was broke. All right, so we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the listening in on the radio, KLFT Radio here in Lafayette, Louisiana, Acadiana. So wherever you're listening in the area or on the podcast, Feel free to share it uh, with other folks. So it's good to be back. We've had, a, what, a couple of weeks, Adam, where we've been off? Yeah, a couple of weeks, which I guess is three weeks in Radio Land. We yeah. take two weeks <laughs> off. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. We usually take a Radio break in the time. summer, like, you know, we're vacation schedules, things like that. Post, post-COVID summer. Yeah. You're I actually mean, doing it's things. It's been wild. So I, I did a conference in Atlanta, drove back home, then drove back to North Carolina, did a, a marriage retreat, and then went on 
vacation with the family and then got back. So And your vacation was in Georgia. So you spent more time in Georgia than Louisiana this month. Georgia. Georgia. It was 10 degrees to 15 degrees cooler, too, which was nice. It's I got back to 92 degrees last night, which was Was it raining constantly like it is over here? My grass had had mowed in two weeks. <laughs> if you don't live... This was the wrong two weeks. If to you do not grass. live in Louisiana <laughs> in the summer, your gra- grass grows overnight. Yeah. You yeah. know, like hand down, and it, you know, rains. And then, so, anyway, not to complain, but that's what I came back to from, like, you know, 85 degrees in the mountains to, you know, 92 and long grass mosquitoes. That's just what summer is for us. It is. And it's been wet. Apparently, we've already hit our average rain total for the year. In July? In July. That's amazing. Thank you it's for sharing that. Rain every day. I don't even want to talk about it. All right. So anyway, I have a weird Catholic stuff. Weird. Whoa. I can't believe it. Weird. That was impressive. <laughs> that was all off the cuff. Oh, so yeah, anyway, right off that This cuff. isn't extremely weird. I thought it was weird in a sense of like kind of cool, and I wish I kind of had this name. So there is actually a saint. His name is Saint Magnus, which is already kind of cool, Saint Magnus, you know. The Viking Raider. <laughs> That's what his name? Guy. Yeah. Saint yeah, Magnus yeah. the Viking Raider. Saint Magnus the Viking Raider. So he came from like... Doesn't well, sound like a wuss to me. He came from a, a Viking family. They were Viking raiders. Like they were like, you know, you know, like... They, they, they raided were, Vikings. They, they raided Vikings. <laughs> rough but, folks. They were rough folks, but he actually was a pious man and became a Christian. So he's Saint Magnus the Viking Raider. I mean, think about that. Like, right... How cool it is. Awesome. Yeah. So if you could have like a really cool saint name, like like just boom, like I think he's kind of up there with like one that I would want. It's the next kid in line. Yeah. But here's the thing, like Magnus um, Beirut. Like if you look all throughout scripture, Old Testament and then in New Testament, actually, there were times where God changed the name of someone. Mm-hmm. Like gave him you know, someone a new name, right? So you know, Jesus you know, looks at Simon and gives him the name, you know, Peter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Abraham, his name was changed. I mean, so you look throughout Scripture and, like, you see kind of these these moments where, like, God changes the name Saul to Paul, right? Like, you guys can kind of think of different people. For saints, like, they're, like, given a name. It's almost like this godly name that they're given based on, like, the mission or the ministry of the things that they've done in their life. You know, so St. Magnus, the Viking Raider, Right. Dang, I don't know if I can top Viking Raider in my lifetime. I don't know <laughs> what I can do that's right better but, than that. But this Sunday, we actually celebrate uh, a saint, St. James. Okay? So one of the names that Jesus actually gives the apostles, that actually, you know, him and his brother, was the names that he gives James and John is what? Sons the sons of thunder. Sons yeah, of thunder. Yeah, like he literally <laughs> calls them the sons of thunder. Like, how cool was that? Like, for those two to have amongst the 12, they get the name Sons of Thunder, right? Right. I Well, so I was, me and I were going to talk a lot about next kids' names and things, you know? Right. So she wants the name. She likes the name James, and I like the name James. And they could both call me Thunder. How cool would that be? <laughs> yeah. I'd have a John and a James. 
Death and so Death this comes from like dead. the gospels, like you know, the Samaritans would not welcome Jesus because he he was hated, right? And uh, um, when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked the Lord, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? And Jesus turned and rebuked them. And so you know, the names Sons of Thunder, like they had this like zeal and and this you know thunderous boom about them, you know, the zeal for, you know, but there was a time and, and this kind of connects to our first segment that like what, what they saw as accomplishing the mission in that moment was let's just rain down hell upon them and destroy them for not agreeing or believing with what you are about Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. He actually says he rebuked them for that thought, right? Which became a teaching moment for them, right? A, a moment of like conversion of like, oh wait, well then how do you want us to handle it? Well, through love, like through through forgiveness, through mercy. And you know, what would our life and culture look like if like, you know, we, we didn't want to just rain thunder of God's rule and law and everything begin black and white, but like really begin to immerse the gospel with people, right? and the power of God in a real tangible way. I think you're touching on something that a mindset that we can get into when we really become consumed by the state of affairs of our world, you know, like the things that are going on. And, and when we pick a side and then we look at the other side and we're like, they'll pay, they'll learn, right. let, them, let them fall and hurt. And, and we, we get into this mindset where we're like, I want to see them fail. Like I want to see them hurt. I want to see them in pain. And pay for their actions and for their decisions. Like if they're pro whatever, right? Let's see them pay like, for it. Like God's wrath come upon them. Like right. And that is, in a sense, and like a very particular Christian view. Not necessarily Catholic. In a sense, like the sort of the wrath of God will will you know fall upon you. You guys have all worked in ministry for years, and you started out just like I did early on in youth ministry, working with kids or teaching kids, right? You had a teenager come up to you, right? Comes from a broken home, doing drugs, you know, messing around, and he's just, or she is just completely, totally a mess. Your first reaction is compassion upon that kid, right? You see the hurt and the pain, and then you talk to him about the love of God, and you minister to them and pray with them and introduce them to the sacraments and community. And you see, we've all seen those folks have this progression of, of, you know, conversion and moments of, of turning away and into, and that's even happened in our own life, right? For some reason, that same person is an adult. We look at it and think <laughs> of them differently, right? And we don't think of them as this broken person who's hurting, who's looking for answers, who's struggling, who's addicted, who's whatever, or believes differently. And we don't have the type of compassion. And I say we, I'm just saying in general, um, compassion we would for a kid or a teenager who comes to us who's messy right jesus looks at everyone the same you know with with great mercy and compassion doesn't ignore the truth doesn't ignore the gospel just like with the woman committed and caught in adultery right there's very truth in the moment that there's but there's mercy and compassion at the same time and then there's this conversion that takes place through that right a lot of times I think that's what we're lacking and missing, you know, because we can go either way. We go so compassionate that we just allow people to do whatever they want. 
right? And we just agree. Oh, you want to do that? It doesn't matter. God loves you, right? True. God does love you. Or we go all the way on the other side is like, you're going to hell, right? Like you, like that is completely wrong and totally, you know, the wrath is coming upon you if you continue that. And although there's some truth into like, you know, the reality of, hey, that is sin and that's not going to do anything for you. There needs to be a, a blending of the two, and that's what Jesus did well. So when the sons of thunder want to call down the wrath, Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not, that's not what I'm about, right? I think you're hitting the, yeah. on a key thing to reflect on that we often get wrong in the relationship between mercy and wrath and the new thing Jesus does in the New Testament. And you brought up how non-Catholic Christians kind of tend to fundamentalist wrath-based things sometimes. Well, part of it is because we, we view the Old Testament differently. We view the Old Testament as fulfilled in Jesus Christ, not obsolete in the sense that it doesn't have value to us. It does, but it is obsolete in the sense that Jesus has done something new. So in the Old Testament, God's wrath is a major theme, and it's what happens when the holiness of God encounters sin. There's a almost chemical reaction where God destroys the sin. And the only thing that kept, God, kept God's wrath out of Israel was the Day of Atonement once a year and the animal sacrifices throughout the year in the temple, but mainly that Day of Atonement where God's wrath is, is satisfied and the sin is not taken out on the people. But it's only for God's chosen people, right? So... God's people didn't identify with the Gentiles and with the nations, and the wrath of God is upon them. They don't have a mechanism to stay God's wrath away. Well, here's what Jesus Christ does, is that he doesn't do away with God's wrath. Like he said, I have not come to abolish the law, but he fulfills God's wrath with mercy. Mercy takes that wrath that wants to destroy sin, and, and it's true. The holiness of God cannot coexist with sin. But it destroys sin in such a way that it saves the sinner from the sin. It destroys sin in the person. It makes the person holy. And this is the fulfillment of mercy. This is what the New Testament offers, is that we would not simply be saved because we follow a law or be saved because we don't sin, because all of us are sinners, Gentile and, and Jew, right? Like we're all sinners. But in Jesus Christ... God's mercy, his wrath becomes mercy in me, that he destroys the sin in me and he saves me from it. And so I don't have to perish whether I'm a Gentile or a Christian, right? Like those walls are broken down between Jew and Greek and all of us have access to the Father. All of us have access to mercy, but mercy is fulfilled in me becoming holy. Right. It's not me being forgiven for everything and not becoming holy. That's not what the New Testament offers. Yeah, there's never been a time, I think you guys would agree, where I've sinned or lived in sin where I was actually happy, right? And so the reality is that the truth sets us free, free from what? The, the bondage of sin, the slavery of sin, which the gospel talks about. And, you know, I think we do one of two things, and, and folks do one of two things. Either A, they repent because they're just like, I can't live this way, like, and they hear the gospel, or... The only way to kind of satisfy those sinful desires is to justify them, right? Oh, it's okay. And you keep doing them, and that becomes sort of your source of coping and happiness. You know, so you're, 
you know, you're committing adultery or, you know, you're living in sexual sin or you're drinking too much or you're a workaholic or, you know, you're just angry, uh, you're unforgiving, um, you're, you know, you're just whatever that kind of continues to build up and you just continue to live with that and justify your action and behavior. And that justification is sort of becomes a lifestyle of like, oh, this is this is good for me, right? This is I'm justified in doing this. And that's what happens, right? And then what ends up happening is that then we become vicious towards people who want to try to help us to be set free, which is Jesus, right? Or Christians. And the reality is like the only thing that can help someone turn away from their sin is is really my testimony. Man, that like I've been there. And it doesn't, it never brought me happiness. And the only thing that set me free was Jesus, right? Instead of, you know what, like you're going to hell, the wrath of God's coming upon you, right? And so when Jesus looks at, you know, James and John, who want to call the thunder, like it's this moment where they, they learn a lot just in that moment. And there's not, there's probably more there to the text than what we will ever know to the story. But we know that James became the first. Um, history tells us that the first martyr of the apostles to be martyred, you know, James was killed by Herod, right? So, and he was one of the, the three that were in like the three inner circle with Jesus, mm-hmm. right? They, he was there at the Transfiguration, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Where was he? Uh, he was Peter, James, and, and John, right? And mm-hmm. James and John were brothers. And so, like, in this inner circle with Jesus where he saw a lot more and then just seeing his just his own conversion and ability to bring the love of God to the point where he gave up his life. Yeah, and it would seem, well, yeah, I think what you're talking about, Adam, Deacon Adam, uh, is, I think we see it a lot. I think we see it well in Paul, in the conversion of Paul, because it's not that Paul is a good symbol for, like, Rome as a whole, right? It's not that Rome was conquered by the Christians, and that's why Rome became a Christian empire, you know, or a Christian country or a nation or even. it's It was the conversion of Rome that made Rome Christian, I guess, if you want to say it like that. And so Jesus didn't raise up a big Christian army and dominate and conquer, but, and because if, if he did, it would seem as though he lost, you know, because Jesus dies. I mean, he resurrects, but he dies, and James dies, and Peter dies, and all these great leaders die, and it would seem like Christianity is losing the war, but that's not what Christ came to do. And even on a more personal level, he didn't come to, well, he didn't, he's not asking Christians to build up an army and kill and dominate and, you know, but to convert from within and to move hearts and to change minds and to s- destroy sin and find who the real enemy is, not the person or your neighbor standing across from you, but the sin that lies deep with inside yourself that's the that's the battle we're fighting is that is your own sin and and the the enemy you know the devil and we often take Jesus's parables we don't think past the surfacey clichéic value of them so you remember when he said you know first remove the plank in your own eye then you could see clearly enough to remove the pl- the splinter from your brother's eye right mm-hmm. and so we we use that parable as a way to remind people not to judge others not to be worried about the sins of other people just worry about yourself and there that's true there is value to that but he didn't just talk about one eye he didn't just talk about the plank in my eye he talked about the speck in my brothers and the last sentence of that parable is so that you can remove the speck from your brothers right right implying that he wants us to remove 
sin from each other. This is one of the ways we love each other. Is divine mercy is given through through people. And if I, yeah, if I have a plank rem- removed from my own eye, I will be s- able to see clearly the sin that is in my brother, mm. so that I can lovingly rem- save him from that sin. I'm not Jesus, but I can point out and say, look, Jesus loves you enough that he doesn't want you to live like this, and what you're doing is not good. And he wants to set you free from that. And I can help you do that if you want, you know? I have to be able to see clearly enough past my own insecurities, my own sin, my own failures, my own inadequacies to see the brother that Christ wants to save. And that's mercy. That's where God's wrath destroys the sin in someone and saves them from it. Yeah, I mean, my conversion or his was all me justifying my behavior. Some of the sins that I were I was committing, I didn't even know were sin, right? And I think, Chad, like you kind of yeah. have that same background in a sense. And like it wasn't until someone was like, that's that's like a sin. Like, mm-hmm. not like it, it is. And I'm like, really? I had no idea. Maybe that's why deep internally it's not making me happy, right? Like it would really think about it. And then I'm like, well, show me. Show me where that's not. So reading the scripture and kind of beginning to understand the love of God, but the truth, right? Like the, the it's the you can't separate the bone and the marrow, right? The, the, they're combined, and then it convicts the heart for change. And I think for us as Christians, like that's what we're about is is helping people change their lives for the better, not not to be in a certain you know you know party or agenda. Like the heart changes, right? And and then the mind changes, and and you grow and become free. This is the beauty of the church that we need to get back to is inviting people to be baptized and saved, right? Through the water of Christ, inviting people to be confirmed and, you know, anointed with the oil of Christ to become disciples, right? Inviting people to the Eucharist where they can receive the true presence of Jesus and be fulfilled, right? Like, like this is the life that will set people free. Does it make it always easy? No, I mean, we all have struggles, right? But, you know, if you look at at the readings from this week, you see Jesus talking about the seed that falls on rocky ground and fertile ground, and and then, you know, this whole, you know, story about, you know, the the seed falling on ground. And then he kind of explains it this week, right, where, um, you know, he says this, you know, here, here the parable of the sower, the seed sown on the earth, on the path is one who hears the kingdom of God without understanding it. And the evil one comes and steals it away. uh, What was sown in the heart, right? So the word of God can fall, but like people don't truly understand the truth of it, right? That's the role of of the church to help explain that. Um, The seed sown on rocky ground is the one who hears the word and receives it with joy. But when it sets root only lasts for a time, when some tribulation or persecution comes because of the word, it immediately falls away. So many people are right here in our time. Like when troubles come, tribulations, anxieties, worries, fears, like it's like it's uprooted and it's like we go back to our old ways of doing things, right? This, the seed sown among thorns is one who hears the word, but then the worldly anxiety comes and the lures of riches choke the word and bears no fruit, right? So think about that. Jesus is talking about anxiety over 2,000 years ago. And like, what is like the, like one of the biggest struggles in today's culture? Anxiety. Like every other commercial is about antidepressants. Honestly, think about it. And Jesus is talking about it then, like just this 
this human condition to worry and fear and live in this. And that's what happens. Like the word of God is settled and then it gets uprooted because it just gets consumed with worry. What did we talk about in the first segment? Like none of us even know the Olympics are going on. Mm. Why? All the distractions that are happening, right? But the seed sown on rich soil is the one who bears fruit, who, one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields 160 and 30-fold, right? I, I love how this parable, I mean, related to what we're talking about, mercy and wrath and all this, I love how this parable reveals from the, the heart of Christ to us that sin is a very deep reality. And I guess Catholics today or Christians today or our culture, I don't know, but we, we think of ourselves so shallow with it, it such shallow view because we see sin as merely a moral indiscretion. Like, I, I did something I should not have done, right? Like, sin is really much more deep than that. It's a separation from God. I mean, the word literally means separation. So it's a division between me and God. And I am a very profound person. You are a very profound person. Human beings are profound beings. And there's many aspects to being separated from God that really have an effect on us. And one of them is intellectually. If I don't understand who God is, that's, a, that's an effect of sin. Right. Like, I was made to know who God is, and the only reason I don't know my Father, that I don't know Jesus Christ, and I don't know the Holy Spirit, is because of the separation of sin. It might not be my own personal sin or my own fault, but sin is the cause, right? So in God's mercy, He sends preachers to preach the Word. He sends the church to preach Jesus Christ, who is knowledge of the Father, so that we can come to understand it. And without understanding the Word, then my behavior will not become holy. Like, I can't I can't live out the word, the word of God without understanding the Word. And this is what Jesus is teaching us. And so it is merciful to preach the gospel in its entirety. And it is the duty of the church from generation to generation to do so in an undefiled, uncorrupt, unwatered-down manner. Because without that, we don't understand God. And we're separated from Him. We would be slaves to sin if we couldn't preach the gospel as it really is. Yeah, so Chad, you were mentioning about St. Paul, right? Like mm -hmm. in just his life and conversion. The whole second half of the book of Acts is about Paul's ministry and journeys, right? The first half is this unbreaking of the early church. And, you know, Paul's in like, you know, Thessalonia, and the Jewish folks are inciting riots based on his preaching. And they're, they're basically saying, this guy is saying that the Messiah is going to come back to bring wrath and to, you know, to do military rule, you know, and to conquer, you know? Mm -hmm. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not true at all. And he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to repent, to be baptized. You And people are having conversions. Um, but yet there's still this, this great anger and animosity towards this, right? Because it, the gospel of love even does make people feel uncomfortable because it, there's change, conversion, to turn away and and to to remove sin from our life, to remove hatred and pain and all these things that we get so comfortable living with and justifying. You know, it's the beauty of the gospel, though. You know, so what is so great is like we have these readings this week about the seed and and the parable of it and falling on ground and like bearing fruit. And the Sunday, what we'll hear is the feeding of the 5,000, this, this kid who's just got like two fish and two loaves, right? And the, the, 
the disciples, the apostles are like, man, that's like a, you know, hundred days wage to feed all these people or whatever they say. Like they, they are like, there's no way God will provide. And Jesus is like, no, like bring, bring me the loaves and the fishes and let me show you. Right. And they're like, whatever. Right. And you know, they say it's 200 days wages worth of food would not be enough for each of them to have a little. Right. And one of the disciples, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter said to him, there is a boy with, you know, five barley loaves and two fish. We know the story, right? Uh, and it, Jesus says what? Have people recline. Have people recline. Like, what do we need like, when we're an- anxious and worried more than anything? To rest. Yeah. Like, to know that we're, we're going to be okay. And what is Jesus in the midst of that? He says, tell people to recline. And he takes the loaves and the fishes, and he feeds them. Right? And they're filled. They're they're completely content. They're satisfied. Filled to abundance. It's left over to abundance. Like this is the image of what Jesus is giving the church to feed them to where they're satisfied, to where it, they have the abundance of love and truth and mercy, you know, and and to come to the table to come to the Eucharist and to be fed. This is a, you know, this is a a prefiguration of the Eucharistic miracle that happens every sign, every mass, right? And I mean, just imagine, you know, like if we got back to, to this in a lot of ways, and I know there are a lot of places that are churches. And what I'm saying is the beauty of this is in the midst of anxiety where that seed gets upplanted, and Jesus in this gospel is like, tell them to recline. I'm going to feed them. Yeah, it's an. I think it's an interesting thing that we have the most food we've ever had in entire in the history of civilization. You know, the most abundance, the most access. I mean, not everywhere, I suppose, but the most access to water and to food. And we to have people things. spending a million dollars to fly to space right now. Yeah, billions, millions, and millions of dollars for one moment of happiness. Yeah. And Jesus offers everlasting life. And anxiety is still on the rise, you know, and, and these mental illnesses and the struggle. Because what do we look at? We look and it's like, I'll never fly to space. I'll yeah. never have the money to do that. Or maybe if I just if I just keep working enough, I keep working and I keep working and I put my head down and keep working, then I'll have the peace and the happiness, you know? Well, our but, hearts are so hard because sin is growing and sin that division from god is growing in people's lives and in the culture you know the catechism of catholic church i love what it when it talks about us needing a new heart and it says the foundation of that new heart is understanding god's love for us Mm -hmm. and the devil shudders at certain things the name of jesus the name of mary the name of joseph terror demons right and he shudders when we tell someone that God loves them because that is the initial turning of that heart away from sin and to God. And the whole gospel only makes sense with that foundation of the Father's love for us because that explains why he sends his son. That explains why for 2,000 years he continues to send the church to preach the gospel. God's love for me is the foundation of it all, you know? And People don't know God loves them. And so, yeah, anxiety's on the rise. I mean, what if I didn't know my father loved me? I'd be very stressed out. Yeah. 
what if I didn't even know who he was? I'd be very stressed out. You know what I mean? Like if I know, sure. I knew I had a father somewhere out there. Maybe I don't have a father. And um, so, you know, as we preach the gospel, that foundation, if we want people to have a new heart, you know, a heart of experiencing God's mercy, we they have to understand that God loves them. 100%. And what does Jesus invite us to? To recline. Yeah. And let him feed us. Right? All right, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in. It's good to be back with Chad and Deacon Adam in studio. So, yeah. Great show. Lots and lots to catch up on for this show. I mean, we keep talking. Reunited, and it feels so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the beauties of vacation, which, you know, a lot of times people think when they think of vacation, they think of something maybe extravagant or busy or whatever. But I have learned over the years that vacation, for me, our family needs to be rest and time. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, there's something very, very fruitful and accomplished by resting, you know, and like just spending time together mm-hmm. and not having to do a whole lot or accomplish a lot of things. So, you know, yeah, I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> do a whole lot. So, but the bad thing about a good vacation is that you have to go home, you know? Well, that's when you know yeah. it's good. Yeah. When it's like, I don't think I'm ready to go home. Yeah. I've been on plenty of trips where I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go home. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, it's good to be back, and thanks for listening in. All right, so it's been a while, so we'll go a little six-pack of questions. Question. Paul, question one. Question one. How do you rest? What does that look like Man, for you? That's been the journey of my life because I'm not a very (laughs) restful person by nature. My personality doesn't keep still. My wife gives me a hard time about it at times. You know, um, sometimes I'm first up from the dinner table cleaning the dishes and they're like, hey, we're still talking. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, my mind is, like, go goes a lot and busy. So forcing myself to rest has been something I've trying to learn and I've learned over the years. And so we used to do vacations where it was like we were busy and then I just got back more tired and busy. It did nothing for my heart and soul. So – Trying to do more vacation time where it's like, let's rest and just be together and breathe, you know. And so I'm learning not only my own prayer time and quiet time, but like to give myself permission to rest. Because I Mm -hmm. think we think rest isn't productive, but rest is very productive. Sleep is productive. We don't sleep, but prayer time, quiet time, and then time to rest. That's why God gave us a Sabbath, right? Think about it. Said on the seventh day, rest. Like, hey, hey. Like, that's what you do. Like, let yourself rest, your mind, your heart. And I think we're so anxious today because we don't rest. 
and we don't give ourselves permission to rest, it's almost like we guilt ourselves if we do rest, right? And there's this sort of these, this like, well, we're not, you know, we can over rest and we, we don't do anything with our life. No, it's talking about just resting, like unplugging your phone, getting away, like, you know, so that's what I'm learning. Nice. All right. Question number two. Um, we talked about the Olympics for a bit. Yep. It seems like athletes are heroes in the world, right? And you've, you've been around the sports world a bit. Um, talk to me about the good and bad looking up to athletes as heroes. It seems to be pretty helpful for those that want to live a good life. They can find some good sports, but then there's also some big letdowns or disappointments that can happen. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about athletic heroes. No, I see that. And you're just like, Oh, that guy was a spokesperson for like this major sports league. And all of a sudden he gets busted for like domestic abuse, you know? And you're just like, how disappointing. Right. And I think we, put way too much stock in people who are famous and not in Jesus and God and true role models, people who are living it. So I think from a distance, we have this perception of who people really are, what they put out on social media. And I, I just, it, it is disappointing because I think a lot of times those people are spokespersons for the wrong things, you know, and they're not really that good. And then the people who are spokespersons for a lot of the good things, they get hated. And it's, it's interesting, you know, um, so yeah, I, I just have learned to kind of, you know, temper, you know, how much stock I put into human beings and not in, into God himself. Right. So, yeah, maybe a follow up on that. Paul, even Paul in the, in the gospels talks about being athletic and like winning the race and those things. So maybe, maybe speak to your kids participating in sports and like the good, good and maybe the bad of that or or being involved in athletics yeah no sports i mean if you go to question number three i think sports or any type of activities like you know can really build virtue and strength and commitment and discipline and like all those things i think sports really provides a platform for like a lot of human development and growth and even faith growth honestly but it's not our god and if what we do, whether it be a sport or a work, becomes the center of our life and our God, then we're going to end up crumbling at some point. And, you know, it kind of happened to me after not playing after college. It's like I didn't know what to do with my life when I didn't have sports to play just because it was so much a part of my life. And I had to learn how God was my identity and my center and, and my identity in Christ was much more than what I did or accomplished on the sports field or even in the work world. And I think that's super important. I think the pro athletes, to go back to the the question before that, whose identity is not in what they do are really good role models. All right. All right, question number four. We talked about James and John, and do you want us to call down fire from heaven? Um, so they got a little bit ahead of themselves, and Jesus pulled them back. Uh, what? Tell me about what you've learned about this balance between – zeal where i want to do things for god like i want to actually get things done but i'm also not formed enough to do them some things right so it kind of balance of knowing what you can and can't do what you're ready to do for the kingdom what you're not ready to do you know what i mean have you do you have any funny stories where you you kind of stepped out a little too far maybe than (laughs) further than jesus asked you to well i think what (laughs) what a lot of people don't do is they don't do anything like i i think god's calling so many people and everyone and putting a heart and a vision and that they just don't say yes. Right. 
and I think all the things I've learned and even learned the hard way or made mistakes is just because I just jumped and did it. And they're like, oh, that was too soon. Or, <laughs> you know, let me show you how to do it a better way. And I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> but having mentors and people in your life to kind of help you along, you know. But I think the worst thing we can do, honestly, Adam, is not do anything. So I think we're much better at doing something and making a mistake at it and learning from it than doing nothing. And I think a lot of people do nothing. They just sit back and don't do anything and i think that's the worst thing that we can do honestly yeah because james and john learned from jesus right about what they you know but they wouldn't have learned from jesus no. if they wouldn't have tried if they wouldn't have said mm-hmm. anything they mm-hmm. would have just but they were like let's do this and he's like no <laughs> <laughs> no killing today right so good all right uh question number five we talked a bit about people who disagree with us or and, and being attacked or the political sphere have you uh, had conversations with those kind of people, people that like deeply disagreed with what you believed in and how can we approach those conversations? How can we do that charitably and, and, and get over the fear of having those conversations? Yeah, no, definitely. And I should probably be in more of those conversations, you know, but I think if someone generally knows that you love them and care about them, the conversation goes much better. They may, you may not land on the same page or even agree, but if you're just there to get your point across, then it's really probably going to be fruitless, right? But mm-hmm. if you generally care and love the other person, then the conversation can be very fruitful, even if it doesn't end in true resolution or agreeing, right? And that's really the key is like just really caring and loving for the people that you're talking to, having compassion on their story, knowing their hurts and pains and understanding where they're coming from. Cause a lot of times where people are coming from and their points of view are based on their experience in their life, their hurt, their pain. And as you sift through that, then you're able to kind of, you know, love them through it, but then also speak the truth. Right. And you look for that opportunity to say, you know what, that might be connected to this in your life, but let me just tell you what, you know, what's true, what's real or where God, you know, really thinks about you, you know, and that that's happened and there's been some cool moments. All right. Question number six. All right, Paul, give us, give us some mercy hope. Give us a little story of God's mercy really changing someone's life that you've seen or worked with or something. Um, Cause I think today's conversation, very interesting, but like we want mercy. We want to be saved from sin. We want Jesus to come into our life and destroy sin in our life and, and save us. So give us some hope that there's hope for us. Tell us a great conversion story. Yeah, so I just did a marriage retreat, Gretchen and I, for a small group up in the mountains. It was great, you know, and just to be able to spend time with people for that long and help them just to kind of spend time together, commune together, work on their marriage, have a small group, break it open, talk about it. And there was a story, uh, this guy, you know, uh, years into his marriage kind of had a conversion. He just admitted he's like the first you know, 10 years of my marriage, I was a real, you know what? And he just broke down crying, you know, and he just started like leaning into God and having a conversion and changing just everything, the way he worked, the time he spent with his family, the way he went to church and prayed and uh, just slowly. Um, Then his, he had, he reversed his vasectomy and they started doing NFP. They had a late in life baby and like he's like on this retreat just breaking down and it was like a tough guy it was like the one that was like yeah i don't know and then it was just amazing man and then 
all everyone else just started kind of like following suit of just being authentic and real and just how God's trying to restore their marriage and, and, you know, no like major things, but just understanding that we're all human and like life is hard. Marriage is hard. Living is hard. But uh, seeing this, this, this guy's conversion and, and his continual conversion in his marriage, like as he's trying to build God into it was powerful. And just seeing people speak into that and just, yeah, it just gave me hope that like, like God's still at work, you know, in a major way. You know, and the church plays a crucial role in that, you know, like having the sacraments and mass on this retreat and knowing that they're getting plugged into their parish and things like that. Like it, it, it all works together. You know, it all works together. Like we, we can't operate for the gospel in a silo, you know, in an echo chamber by ourselves, thinking that we'll accomplish it. We need community. We need the church. We need the sacraments. We need it all to work together for good. And when that happens, like great, great miracles happen. So there's some hope so anyway hope you guys have hope who are listening just know that the, the more and more you lean into god and his love and compassion and mercy and his sacraments like man like that's where the answer is so just want to encourage everyone feel free to share the show encourage people to listen here in acadiana or on the podcast and i think we're in town next week so we'll be back god bless you guys have a good one